Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Ilan and Tobias are a happily married couple who regularly vacation with their young daughter, Maya. The family is on a dreamy holiday when an innocuous case of food poisoning derails their plans and forever alters the course of their lives. Three years later, the once loving couple are on the road again, going camping, looking for one last chance to go back to the way things used to be. And that is the very bare bones outline of what is uh, just a terrific film called Coco Di, Coco Da. We're joined today by the director, producer, and writer of the film. And that would be Johannes Niholm. Johannes, <laughs> welcome to Film School Radio. Happy to be here. <laughs> now, um, this is a film that mixes a lot of different tones, a lot of different uh, styles, and, and also animation with, with uh, high drama and surreal settings and th all kinds of different things are going on in the film. Tell me a little bit about where the story for Coco di Coco da came from. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all a combination of uh, uh, things I've experienced and um, uh, kind of extrapolations from that uh, by dreams. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, dream structure in the film. Uh, you mentioned that there's uh, a lot of genre mixes and so, but it's, it's mainly that it's more inspired by, uh, uh, by dreams than, and that kind of uh, structure. Mm. And, uh, and uh, I guess uh, ordinary films or the traditional uh, way to tell a story. Yeah. Well, was that always was it always a part of your thought process as you were moving forward with creating this this um, vision that you had of doing kind of this kind of time loop sort of uh, approach to it? Was it always something as we as we all know from our own nightmares? They yeah. do a reoccur over and over again and sort of as we sort through and try to figure out things. But is that was it always that structure for you? Yeah, it was. I mean, it started actually by that uh, that structure. I woke up uh, really early one morning and I had this uh, uh, this uh, thought just uh, going over and over again, uh, like uh, repeating itself with small, small changes. Uh, and it's it's uh, actually quite a lot like parts of the movie. Uh, I kind of saw it in front of me. I half awake, half asleep, and it's uh, it was like uh, like a lucid dream in a way, mm -hmm. like I dreamt, but I was still awake, so I can actually sit there and, and write it all down. Yeah. So, it, uh, so I mean, it was there from the beginning. This structure, this uh, uh, dreamlike structure, it, it where it all comes from. Yeah. So, this film starts out, as I described in the opening, a very idyllic kind of family on vacation, yeah. uh, a loving family with the, the mother, the father, and the young daughter. In fact, it's her birthday. And I think you do something at the very beginning of the film, which I, I really appreciate. And I, this is what I love about filmmakers, is that there are little clues that you give us at the very mm -hmm. beginning. Of the film. Mm -hmm. And they're yeah. more than they appear to be at, at that time, obviously. And as the film un unravels, we start to, they start to make more sense. That's the one thing which I just, I really appreciate about the film. But the other thing about it is the, the, the characters that were introduced that are part of the nightmare, part of the mm. dream. Yeah. And they're, they're almost like carnival sideshow 
people. Okay, mm. we have the sort of the carnival barker, and we have the and then the other couple of characters. There's something very, and I hope this is appropriate. There's something Fellini-esque about the, the 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 way that those characters are sort of a part of the story. There's something that reminded me of early Fellini films. What is the dramatic device that they are for you? What is it? What is it that they're trying to those particular characters? Mm. I think it's important to me that they they should be really irrational characters that you you should not be able to know uh, really what they are and where they come from. That they should be both real and not real at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like they should be. Uh, I mean, they should tell us that. Uh, uh, they come from some kind of limbo state. A lot of the film is um, is taking place in a limbo, in a way, in somewhere between life and death, between uh, uh, being awake and then asleep. This uh, uh, very kind of vague uh, landscape without uh, any contours. Right. Uh, so, so I want those characters to be really uh, kind of uh, irrational. I think they should be... Um, you, you shouldn't expect what they would do. Even though you know that they will come there, they will be there, they are there all the time, but you have no idea uh, what goes on in their minds and what they will be up to next. Uh, so they're kind of the, the opposite uh, of a character that you understand. They, right. should, uh, they, should, be, uh, they should be like a, like a ghost in your mind that, uh, that you, you don't have any control over. You can't control them right. because they are irrational. I'm curious, and this is maybe another way of asking that same question, and that, that is, are are they iconographic? Are they are they characters that that are sort of in some kind of a, a folklore that you gleaned from, or is this something you created a whole whole cloth? Uh, but I mean, a lot of the film is about trying to make them real. Uh, okay. While they are not, uh, they they I mean uh, they don't exist, but they exist. Uh, right. I, I want you to feel like uh, like they exist for real, uh, yeah. how str however strange they are, as a myth or as real characters or so. But to me, they are very real because I, I kind of have met them for real. But still, uh, I know that most people maybe haven't. Uh, but I, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> That was one uh, one uh, one goal uh, of the film. One yeah. uh, uh, important uh, kind of task for me was to make them real and uh, mythological and iconical. Yeah, well, that's how they come across iconical. And the the introduction of the white cat in certain key parts of the film that felt iconic. I guess is a better way. To, I'm not sure if that's a good word, but there is something about the appearance of the cat. And again, this film at the for me is. The, the parents have been through a horrific experience, uh, 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 an experience that I doubt, I mean, I doubt that you could be any worse than, than what happens to them. And so the film feels like they're working through it. So, and that's, I'm sure, I'm, I'm certain that that's part of the, the, the point of the film, but also it's universal in a lot of ways. What what you what we see. It's not just that specific experience that those parents had. Yeah. It's all of us trying to work through things that are vexing and and beyond our ability to completely understand. Is that yeah. a fair way to put it? Yeah, I'm happy that you can see that because that was important for me. That it's not about uh, uh, losing something specific. It's it's about loss in general or about uh, grief in general. It could be about anything. It can be about small things and big things. 
right? Uh, and uh, I think uh, one one idea was to try to um, uh, to depict or describe uh, that feeling, that feeling of loss, how it feels in your body. Uh, like, uh, like it can feel really, really physical, for real. Like uh, not at all an abstract feeling, but really physical, like you're having your intestines pull out uh, in a way. And you, you can't, uh, um, what do you say, um, intellectualize it. It feels like uh, someone yeah. smacks you in your face or, uh, I mean, strangles you. It, it can feel in, in a similar way. Right. When you have that pain. That, that's thank you for saying it that way because the it you can intellectualize away some of the things that you couldn't possibly intellectualize away the things that have happened to uh this these this couple and um i think a lot of credit goes to your main characters of uh, tobias and elin um that would be leaf inland and edlin and um ilva galan Am I saying that? Am I even yeah. close? Le yeah, you're very close. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Leif Edlund. Yeah. And uh, Ulva Galun. Yeah. They were terrific. Yeah, and I, I thought they did a fantastic job in terms of just their own relationship, but also all the other things that they're working through, if you will. They were. Yeah, yeah I'm happy that you like it. I mean, I think they are fantastic. Uh, they are so. Uh, I mean, they, they worked so much uh, uh, with their roles. Uh, uh, I mean, Leif, for example, he he, uh, he managed to go down twenty kilos uh, for the part. Uh, wow! <laughs> not because I wanted him to, because he wanted it himself. Uh, he wants to be that character, that uh, struggling character, and yeah. uh, and he also he lived together with with their um, their. Uh, fake daughter so to speak uh, yeah. uh, for uh, for weeks just to make friends with her so they could be like a like a real family yeah it, it, they're terrific performances on both of their parts i just want to remind our listeners that we're talking about the wonderful new film called coco di coco da we're speaking with the writer producer and director johannes Niholm. and um the last thing i want to com you to comment on is the beautiful puppetry and animation that you use in the film and it's the part of the film for me that was the most emotionally intense in a, so many ways i thought because it's so much of our imagination kicks in while we're watching something like that and that sense of loss the sense of all these different things are portrayed beautifully in that animation sequences that you use and you use them very strategically um what went into your sort of um, process uh, yeah. The idea by, behind them is, uh, I think it's mainly to um, to give a little bit comfort, a little bit ease of the pain, uh, because the film is, uh, otherwise it's, it's very harsh and uh, raw and cruel. And I think this is like, um, uh, like a little teddy bear to cuddle or like a, I don't know what the English words for it, but, but some, uh, a little, um, uh, yeah, like a teddy bear you have at night so you can sleep. Yeah, uh, so, somewhat like that uh, mm -hmm. to make uh, uh, to be nicer to the audience to to uh, to give them a, a little hug and say that uh, yeah. everything is okay. This is this is a fairy tale, and uh, uh, I mean it's very serious, but it's also um, uh, important to uh, uh, to try to uh, 
to cope with it and try to um, uh, see that it's it's a fairy tale. Yeah. Well, as you were talking about earlier, the process, processing what has happened and how you, how we as people deal with it. We often deal with it going back to the cave drawings, you know, right? This sure. is what we do. This is how yeah. we process. Um, well, I want to thank you so much. Uh, the film, again, is called Coco D, Coco Da, and we've been uh, talking with the director, producer, and writer, and that would be Johan Niholm. And thank you so very much for this film, and thank you for spending some time with us on Film School Radio. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.